the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, happy, happy birthday to America. Happy birthday to America as people, I hope, are celebrating Independence Day all across the country in all the various ways they do. I hope people have a great weekend. I know a lot of folks will be working. Uh, I remember when I was young, I worked a number of uh, Independence Days, uh, 4th of July, especially when I was working in the supermarket for many years, I would end up working that weekend. Uh, but get out soon, sometime uh, late afternoon, hopefully, uh, even for those who are working. But have a great Independence Day uh, celebration, I hope. We'll talk about that in a moment, what you need to know. In a few minutes, we'll talk with John Schlafly. John Schlafly's column this week is about Roe, uh, but I've got a bunch of questions for him. We'll rollick through that. And I'll ask him about his thoughts on uh, uh, Independence Day. And then we'll also speak with Eddie Scarry, who is a columnist over at TheFederalist.com. Uh, TheFederalist.com. He's a very good writer, and he's written a new book uh, from Bombardier Press, and it's called uh, Liberal Misery. How the, le- the Hateful Left Sucks the Joy Out of Everything and Everybody, uh, Everyone, excuse me. Um, he's, a, he's a very good writer. He's really good. And we'll talk with him uh, also about that book and in general about what's going on. So um, <clears throat> let's see uh, what you need to know today. What you need to know today. Um, it, is, uh, it is really hard uh, not to get sort of depressed about how messed up things look. And what you need to know is, Things are really, really good. Things are really, really good. They've never been better in many ways for uh, people. If you if you lived a hundred years ago, or let's say if you lived in 1776 uh, at our founding, you'd have a lot more challenges. Uh, first among them, health. I mean, people died of, of all kinds of diseases that now we take for granted, um, and so for, that's the first thing. But second of all, life was really hard until a hundred years ago. I mean, no matter who you were 100 years ago, you were participating in, uh, in, in the production and the living of, of, of life. You, were, you, know, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't eat out like people do now. You couldn't uh, travel like people do now. You couldn't move for work like people do now. It's just an amazing thing. So we're living in an absolutely blessed time. If you want to see how blessed we are, and as a matter of America's specialness, there's an essay from 1988, I believe. The late Phyllis Schlafly uh, wrote an essay, uh, and she, uh, it was actually a speech that she gave. Um, and the speech was about patents and the American in- system of inventions. And in the speech, she goes through uh, the specifics of what Americans have done in the last, uh, well, at the time she was writing 88, so in the last about 80 years. And she's really 100 years. She's from about, from about the 1880s, 1890s through till when she gave the speech. So about 100 years. So about the last 130 years for us. Invention after invention, you know, the, the cotton gin, uh, the steamboat, the telephone, the airplane, one, one after another. And she wrote that in 88. She gave the speech in 88. That's before we had another 30 years of these unbelievable inventions, everything from smartphones to, uh, uh, to uh, cell phones, um, technology that allowed you to do uh, everything with the Internet, of course. But um, just amazing. We live in a time. And in that essay, she talks about how much an improvement life has been for someone like her to have all these inventions take place. So 
what you need to know is we live in an incredibly blessed time. And America is the, just a bastion of creativity, a bastion of the, the rule of law, where you don't have to wait for the king to give you permission to have a patent. You just invent it and you, 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 it's yours for a period of time. You might have to fight about it. Someone might try to steal it, et cetera, et cetera. But the system is pretty darn good. So when back at the founding, 1776, that time was very precarious. But at the time, they were equally divided. Excuse me, they weren't equally divided. There was, they, the, 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 the estimations of the historians is that a third of the country stayed Tory, supportive of the king. A third was for independence. And the other third was trying to wait and see which way the wind blow, blew. And that's kind of where we are today, isn't it? A third of the country thinks that everything is wrong. Everything is bad. Everything is corrupt. Everything is terrible. Everything about our history is bad. The other third, I would call it the conservative side, says, yeah, it's pretty good. We may have to fight to keep it this way, but this is a pretty good system. This is a pretty good system. It's filled with people, people that are creative, people that are interesting, people that have opportunities. It's a pretty good system. And so you contrast those worldviews on the 4th of July and you watch what they say, what people say and what they think about things. And you see people, one side is running things down. One side is acting. Let me see if I could try this. Well, here's one for you that I haven't tried. One side, the left, is acting like a spoiled child. You ever have a child who's particularly in one of those uh, periods of their life, probably teenage years, where they're just spoiled. They get everything they want and they expect to get it. And when they don't get it, they bang on the table and they yell and scream and, and they want to be able to do whatever they want to do. When they want to do it, they're spoiled. The left right now is a spoiled child. When things don't go their way, they bang on the table, they yell at things, and they say it's, it's the worst thing that ever happened. It's the end of the world. And the other side is kind of like the parents. And the parents in the situation are saying, um, yeah, look, uh, things aren't perfect. Got to get things better. You got to clean that up. Let's focus on this. But let's not mistake what's happening for something really bad when it's not. That's, I, I think that's what you need to know right now. And I have said for many years that America as a nation feels like a young nation. It feels like a nation that's in its, in its youth. It's in, it's in its teenage years. It sometimes makes impetuous decisions that you look at and say, ah, if you had a little more maturity as a nation, maybe you wouldn't do that. And now we're at a point where our leadership in the country, and even some of the Republican side, I shouldn't be too quick to say it's somehow magically one party or the other, but there's a bunch of people that are just moving from, from spoiled uh, uh, kind of experience to spoiled conspiracy. They're like, they're like spoiled children. Both parties, the ruling class, the establishment, when it doesn't go their way, they yell and scream and they do a select committee that's full of lies. They do a Russia hoax that's full of lies. They have the media be full of lies. They use the narrative machine against us. And then another side, what I say is conservatives. You can call them MAGA, ultra MAGA. I don't know. But people that say, yeah, it's a pretty good system. Let's preserve it. Uh, it's a pretty good system. Let's stick to our rights. Let's stick to the basics. Let's make opportunity available to everybody. Let's not lie and distort and scream and yell either about the past or about what we think should have happened. Let's look forward and let's celebrate our successes, improve on our failures and move ahead. Well, Independence Day is a great day to remember that America's greatness is not in our failures or our failings. It's in our successes and it's in our acknowledgement that we're not perfect. We just spent 50 years killing millions of babies because we had a law that said they could. And right now there's still places, California, New York, where they're still killing babies. That's a failure, but it doesn't mean that America's bad. 
Doesn't mean that, well, let me say it differently. Doesn't mean that America's gone forever, lost forever. What you need to know is the specialness of America, our nation, is that we, the people, said we'll be in charge. We'll be parents. We'll grow up in this. We'll be the adults. We'll make hard decisions and hard sacrifices for each other and for our nation, but it'll be worth it. We won't be kids. Happy birthday to America. Hope you, had a, hope you have a great Independence Day celebration. Uh, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Time to catch up with John Schlafly. John Schlafly is the author of a weekly column. Each week, he and his brother, Andy Schlafly, put out the Schlafly Report over at townhall.com. Townhall.com, our sister site, but also archived all the columns over at phyllisschlafly.com. This week's column is, of course, you'd expect about the Dobbs case in the Supreme Court. Uh, We'll talk about that in a moment. John, heading into 4th of July weekend. John, do you have any deep thoughts on Independence Day and our nation's founding? Well, our, you know, we think about our nation's founding, our constitution, when we think about the Supreme Court, which issued a slew of very important decisions just in the last few days. And um, I've been looking through them and, and, you know, one of them was a very important case about Indians. And, um, you know, maybe that's worth taking a minute. Uh, yeah, please. Because, please. you know, our European forebears came to North America and they found the native people here known as Indians. And, um, you know, some, some people may even think that the word Indian is, uh, should maybe shouldn't be used, but that's the word that's in our constitution. And uh, that is the word that, and there've been hundreds of Supreme court cases having to do with Indians because uh, the relationships with the Indians have been on a, basis of nation to nation, generally, the United States versus are, are dealing with the hundreds of separate Indian tribes. And so that created this terrible conflict in the state of Oklahoma, where two years ago, the Supreme Court said that the state of Oklahoma had no power to uh, regulate uh, relations between uh, the white people of Oklahoma and the Indian people, including crimes. So just then this past week, the Supreme Court kind of cleaned up that decision a little bit and made exception. It made important exceptions to that, which restored, you know, a significant part of the power of the state of Oklahoma to deal with it. Uh, you know, Oklahoma was created out of what, you know, large parts of what used to be uh, Indian reservations of the Cherokee people and the Choctaw people and a couple of other tribes. Um, but um, so this is still an issue uh, that is with us today in many parts of the country uh, where the um, different tribes of uh, Indian people still live and are enrolled in their various reservations. We're talking with John Schlafly and uh, John um do you think that the Supreme Court, uh, 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 how would you describe, um, I know, I mean, for conservatives, they see lots of decisions that go their way, but it's, it's bigger than that, isn't it? In some way, it's sort of a, it's, it's a lessening in the role of the Supreme Court or maybe the federal government 
in the life of people. I mean, if to, to go to the Dobbs decision for a minute, it, you know, the Dobbs decision effectively said, we're not going to have the uh, nine justices of the U.S. Supreme Court um, decide these important decisions. We're going to let the people do it. I mean, that's not how it's being covered in the media. But is, is there a way to describe what the Supreme Court has done in this term that gives us sort of um, uh, a broad understanding of it along lines I'm saying? Well, that's a good way to put at it, uh, put it, Ed. And uh, if you want to, you know, extend that idea to the big climate case right, involving exactly. the EPA, where the Supreme Court said the EPA, which is, of course, an unelected body, uh, went way beyond the power that was conferred by Congress when it attempted to regulate all of the power plants in the country in, uh, in order to uh, end totally the use of uh, oil, gas, and coal by the, in the next 20, 25 years. And Congress never authorized them to do that. And the Supreme Court said no. Now, the Supreme Court itself is unelected. And um, uh, the liberals have made the argument that the federal administrative agencies, like the EPA, at least report theoretically to the president who is elected. But my goodness, the EPA has long since, uh, you know, cut loose from any type of control by any elected person. And uh, it's, it's high time that they were restored to the limited powers that they were given by Congress in 1970. Mind you, they're administering a power that was passed in 1970. Most Americans were not even alive in 1970. And yet the unelected members of the EPA are deciding that over the next, you know, 30 years, they're going to stop the burning of any type of carbon-based fuel to generate electricity. And uh, that's what affect every American and reduce our standard of living for the foreseeable future. So that was a wonderful decision by the Supreme Court to cut back on that. Uh, we're talking again with John Schlafly. John Schlafly's column is, of course, the, the Schlafly Report with his brother Andy runs every week and is over at uh, phyllisschlafly.com, uh, archived there. John, this week says, Roe reversal is the decision of the century. Well, this, the century is only about less than a quarter along. We might get well, something else uh, in this next se- six, well, 78 years. I don't know. Is this a, are, you jumping the, are you jumping the gun here? Well, I, I, I admit, Ed, that I uh, had a little debate with my co-author about that point. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, some, some of your listeners may recall that there was a, uh, you know, there, people talked about the crime of the century, referring to the 20th century. The first crime of the century was the murder uh-huh. of Bobby Franks by Leopold and Loeb. And that took place in 1924. Wait a second. Where does the, where does the, where does where does the Lindbergh uh, kidnapping? Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. Oh, so then okay. the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped and murdered in 1932. Okay. And then that was the crime of the century. All right. And I don't know. Then maybe I don't know. Maybe the murder of uh, O.J. Simpson's ex-wife became the crime of the century in 1994. I think it was. So, um, you know. All right. So maybe we jump the gun on the decision <laughs> of the century. I'm glad uh, it does. I mean, the, the, you know, Roe v. Wade has been with us for 49 and a half years, and that's half a century. And I think it's time to mark that as a pivotal moment. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, I, I had on the program, I don't know if you heard the interview, I had on, on my program here, um, um, 
uh, Naomi Wolf, the well-known feminist, and she described Dobbs as a feminist opinion because it returns the decision to the states. And I think she might, she might have been the one that pointed out that there are more women than, than men at voting age in America. So if they want, the women can decide it. But even more significantly, she said that the pro-abortion people got what they deserved because they went way past what was reasonable in terms of wanting to have abortion legal. I, I, I mean, I don't know when I thought I'd expect to agree with Naomi Wolf uh, in, in private correspondence that I don't think she would mind me saying she, she described how she thought Phyllis Schlafly was ahead of her time. Um, so but but I mean, the Dobbs decision has not received the response, I think, that the media and the left thought. Do you agree? Well, it's received a fair amount of response, uh, Ed, and here is Joe Biden, of course, is in traveling in Europe, and uh, he took questions from the press, and he, you know, arrogantly took it upon himself to denounce the Supreme Court from Madrid. And, uh, you know, while he's, you know, in the process of, you know, beefing up NATO, um, so that was inappropriate. So I, th- I think it's had a response, but the truth is that People have not figured out exactly what to do about it. And uh, you'd think that by now they would have come up with a strategy because this has been in the works now. Well, Supreme Court agreed almost a year ago to take this case. And so it was considered a possibility. And then when the leaked draft came out a month ago, it was a certainty. And yet, um, you know, the people who oppose the decision are still debating among themselves what to do. And Biden is talking about, you know, um, he's using the phrase uh, codifying Roe by the Congress, but that's not really possible, as his own legal advisor has written in USA Today today. But um, uh, still, uh, you know, uh, it, does, it is an example. I think it's one more example of how our country is careening into regions. And we have the red states and the blue states with uh, different laws now. And uh, it's somewhat concerning for the future of America as we mark our independence in all of our states. You know, we hope to have some kind of unity behind the flag. And yet, Uh, So many Americans do not agree about what America means and what our Constitution means. And I think it's something to think about as we go into the holiday weekend. Uh, We're talking with John Schlafly, and um, he is referring to, of course, the decision, Dobbs decision. um, And and, um, I don't know, John, I, 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 I thought that the media was hoping that there'd be wholesale rioting, that there would be lots of, um, you know, uh, real significant impact. I don't, I just don't see it. I, you point out in your column that 12 states automatically had trigger laws that banned abortion instantly. Missouri was one of the first where the attorney general signed a, a statement that said, yep, we have a trigger law. It's, it's banned. Um, but lost on a lot of people is in other states, blue states, they made clear abortion. Is, is, it's only going to grow abortion rights, New York, California, other places. So while it may become uh, lessened, and I think it was Ann Coulter uh, who wrote a column on this subject and said, look, in blue states, it stayed legal. In fact, they've now said they're going to make it more accessible and they're going to pay for it. And they're going to. Um, and uh, and so 
I, I think, and, and, and when she went on to say, and in states where it's uh, been banned, it's a smaller number of people. Um, what happens, John, when a place, when St. Louis County, the county executive, Sam Page, announces that he's going to use tax dollars to help get any person, a woman who wants to go out of Missouri to get an abortion, he's going to help pay for that up to a million dollars. I mean, how is that going to work? Well, I think that's that's up to the uh, elected body that controls those funds to put a stop to that. So I certainly hope that the funding of abortion stops at every level, federal and state. And um, and there's room for Congress to act on this. The next Congress, when Republicans take control, uh, because Congress under our Constitution has complete control over the spending of federal money. And there's many ways that the Fed, that federal spending can be tightened up to prevent the uh, loopholes that have grown around the Hyde Amendment, under which some abortions are indirectly subsidized by federal tax dollars as well as state tax dollars. And we have to put a stop to that. You know, one thing has got to be clear, under no abortion in America can be funded by public funds. I mean, that's just we have to draw the line there firmly. And the Congress can say that no state can even use its own funds to fund abortion if it's on a program that is federal funds contribute to. And uh, so those provisions need to be high on the agenda of the next Republican Congress that we're going to elect in November. Um, John, uh, you mentioned that... Um that the uh, there was about a month and a half since the Alito opinion uh, leaked. And you said, well, there's not been much of a response by the Biden administration, say, to do anything. Um, uh, but it's true in some ways the dog caught the car, right? For decades, the pro-lifers hoped Roe v. Wade would be reversed. I mean, as, as recently as 18 months ago, we had pro-life leaders saying, yeah, don't take a case to the U.S. Supreme Court quite yet. Um, it's not time to do that. You know, we don't want to rush things. We'll, we'll, get, we'll make some progress. Here we are. It's totally gone. What's the pro-life community to do? Well, how do you how do you make priorities? I think you made one right there about well, tax dollars. Tax dollars well, is one thing. It's simple, but that's that's only one thing. What else? Well, first of all, the funding is a big thing, and uh, plus we've got to finally, at long last, defund Planned Parenthood totally. Planned Parenthood cannot receive a single dollar from public funds ever again, and so that's got to be on the agenda now at the state level. There are several states which had their state Supreme Courts had created a kind of a mini Roe v. Wade under state law in their state constitution. Right, right, now, right. We, so those we've got there's work to do there. Now, uh, it was very good news a couple of weeks ago where the Iowa Supreme Court, which now has conservative justices, uh, one of whom was on Trump's short list for the U.S. Supreme Court. And they recanted and retracted their previous decision. So Iowa is now moving from uh, ha from formerly having abortion rights at the state level to supporting pro-life at the state level. Now, then you look at Kansas. Uh, Kansas, there is a constitutional amendment on the ballot, which will be voted next month. It's difficult to get a constitutional amendment. Uh, passed in many states because it has to be passed by two successive legislatures and then ratified by the voters. 
Well, that's been done in Kansas. And just next month, Kansans will have the opportunity to vote to amend the Constitution to provide that there is no right to abortion in the state constitution. And then there's Florida. Florida had one of these decisions. But Florida also now has a conservative state Supreme Court. And there's already a case that's uh, in the pipeline right now, which is likely to reach the state Supreme Court in Florida in the next year to fix that state. And so there's much to do at the state level like that. All right, John Schlafly, uh, the Schlafly Report is always available at phyllisschlafly.com archive there. John, final thoughts uh, on the 4th of July. Um, how, how, I know you said you're worried about the division uh, in the country. I don't know, is, um, is, is there somehow we can look to that founding period where there was division, obviously, and how we come out of it? Well, you're right, there was division at the founding level, and it's been estimated that only one-third of Americans actually supported uh, independence, Mm. and another third were against independence. They wanted to stick with King George, and then they had a third of the people that were in the middle. But there were heroes on the independence side, and and the heroes and the men of great character, and let's not, you know, detract from their great character because they participated in the culture of the time, uh, but they carried the day and rightfully so. And we, we all can uh, benefit from the great work that George Washington and others accomplished. It is um, going to be interesting these days and weeks. All right, John Schlafly, thank you as always for your time. A great uh, interview. And again, phyllisschlafly.com. You can find John's uh, columns there. Uh, We will take a break, everybody, and come back. Uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, I have been looking uh, for, forward to speaking with our next guest. We had him on the program. I asked him uh, a, long, a while ago now and uh, hasn't been back since, which I don't know why we didn't do that, because he's a, a columnist over at thefederalist.com uh, and uh, really, really important to read him. Eddie Scarry is um, also now the author of a new book, Liberal Misery, How the Hateful Left sucks joy out of everything and everyone. And uh, he was on Tucker Carlson talking about the book and he's uh, uh, everywhere now. It's, it's going to be a big hit. So welcome back, Eddie. How are you? Hey, Ed. Happy to be here. So my first question is about what, when you watch the liberals go like in front of the Supreme Court and scream and yell angrily, just as a guy who knows communication, it's not very helpful, is it? <laughs> Um, I would say anyone who witnessed that um, was probably immediately reminded <laughs> of the the misery that they feel in even everyday, just everyday smaller social encounters with the left. Um, and that's why I wrote this book, because um, I, I, would, I would say over the course of the last five, six years, but definitely during 2020, is when I kept asking myself, I, you know, I live in Washington, D.C., so I'm, I'm around liberals almost 100% of the time, all the right, time. Right. And I just kept asking myself, why are they so miserable? Why are they so angry? Why, why can't I have a normal uh, date? Why can't I have a normal social interaction with someone who, who is a Democrat or a liberal <laughs> or, or, you know, someone just of the left? Um, and what I was surprised to find um, when I when I started thinking about this idea 
um, was uh, I could search it on Google and find suddenly I came across all these surveys, studies, and data proving that liberals tend to be less happy, much more unhappy uh, with their with their lives altogether. And the way that they behave is actually borne out again by data and, and surveys. For example, um, I found I found surveys where liberals and Democrats admitted themselves that they were much more likely to block somebody on so block unfollow uh, silence somebody on on social media um, than, than conservatives and Republicans were and just the, the fact that there were all these other studies out there where liberals were professing to be less happy than than independents and conservatives and Republicans less happy with um, their jobs their marriage their where they live any not pretty virtually any facet of life, they were less satisfied and less happy than everyone else. Uh, we're, we're talking with Ed Scary and and we're, his book, which is out, which I'll put up. It's uh, Bombardier Books, which is uh, a division of Post Hill Press. It's called Liberal Misery: um, How the Hateful Left Sucks Joy Out of Everything and Everyone. Here, but but they also do it for other people, right? I mean, it's one that you have a if you have a friend that's no fun. You still sometimes keep the friend, you know, I mean, sometimes we have friends that for whatever reason, they're sort of, you know, they're like Eeyore and, you know, you got an Eeyore in your life and it's okay. Right. But the problem is that the left wants to make everybody's life miserable. Right. And that's why I, I used, I was very, I was very adamant that we use the word misery because, you know, there's a phrase misery loves company. It, it yeah. spreads. That is yep. something that is contagious and that has been that is forced on other people by the people who, by those who are having, who are experiencing this, this emotion. Um, so yes. And I would say that the, the uh, aside from the fact that this is seen on, 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 you know, social interactions, you know, a liberal shows up to a party, they can shut the whole thing down with their attitude. Um, aside from that, there are policy implications to this. We, uh, and I go over the, the bigger ones in my book with COVID um, you know, you had all these COVID nags and perpetual shutdown enthusiasts wanted everything shut down, wanted people to stay home, um, didn't want anyone doing anything formally known as fun. Um, they were advocates <laughs> of that. It was, it was liberals and Democrats. And they did the same thing with when it came to the election in 2020. I guess that would be the biggest one, was holding the country hostage. Um, if you, I, I'm not sure where you are, but I know in Washington, D.C. and basically every other Every other big city run by Democrats, all the all the storefronts, all the businesses were boarded up, and they were not heading into the election. Right. And they weren't boarded up because because Biden might win. They were boarded up because Trump might win. And the way that liberals would act out, they knew exactly what liberals would do, what Democratic voters would do if Trump was reelected for a second term. So they had to board up their windows and fear that if Trump won, liberals were, were once again going to take to the streets. It's uh, it, it, and so I guess the here's a different part of this again. And we're talking with Eddie Scary. His book is uh, from Bombardier Press, uh, Liberal Misery, How the ne- How the Hateful Left Sucks Joy Out of Everything and, and Everyone. Uh, it, it feels like it's getting worse. Uh, in, in other words, I don't know if the 60s and the early 70s, the peace protests or whatever, or the, you know, the hippies or something. It, it, when you look back and you watch the documentaries, it, it seemed like they were mostly, you know, a lot of them were angry about something and they did bomb a bunch of places. I guess the weather underground was pretty out of control, but somehow the, the left is spreading the misery. Misery loves company and, and, and almost the speed of light, whether it's uh, big media or, or big tech that makes it so easy. It's kind of, you know, because the woke thing, the thing about the woke thing is 
it, it makes you nervous, right? I had my, I forget what my kids, my, my children are in their teens, a bunch of them. And they said, oh, you, you can't say that, or at least you don't want to something. Someone, one of them said, and you know, the point is it starts to make you feel anxious to not get caught up in the grinder that they want to grind. And, and I guess back to a different question, you live in the swamp and uh, near the swamp and pay attention. Are normal people feeling it? Yes, and I think that that was another that was another reason why I wrote this book because I kept thinking about how um, just by just by nature of being in such a liberal city, um, going and having social interactions with strangers or friends who I know are liberal, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to bring something up (laughs) that's going to that's going to again throw a wet blanket on the party. I don't want to say something that's going to upset someone. What I noticed was that liberals with absolute impunity will say whatever is on their mind. If it comes to politics, if it's going to upset someone, they have no problem saying it. Um, they, they firstly assume that you're that one people care what they have to say Two, um, that you're going to agree with it. And if you don't, well, you can go you can get lost because, you know, you're you're the problem. If you disagree with them, this is they no longer, as you were saying, it's getting worse. I have found that it's getting worse in the sense of you can no longer agree to disagree. We can't have an, an honest difference of opinion. But, you know, let's uh, we, these things are resolved by elections and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. This is no there is something wrong with you. If you disagree with liberals, you're inherently evil, morally corrupt. Um, just an all-around bad person, and they'd rather not look at you if they can help it. Um, that is that that is what I have found liberals to have become anymore. So yes, as you're saying, it's getting a lot worse. <laughs> uh, Eddie Scarry is the author of Liberal Misery. Again, Bombardier Books, so division of Post Hill Press. All right, I remember, and I tell my listeners this all the time, Eddie, and I that that um, remember the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked. She leaned against the door jam in my office, and she looked at me and said, "She had just finished many of the chapters of a book called Who Killed the American Family,' and she said, now I got to finish this book up, a chapter or two on what to do, how do we fix it? So, what do we do to fix this? Do we just hope that the the liberal the liberals and the misery sort of fades away? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's fading away. In fact." I would say when I watch the, the January 6th Select Committee, it, it's an infliction of misery on a, a couple different sets of people. Anyone who was near working for the government gets dragged in. Whether this woman that testified, a staffer, it turned out good for her or not, in her mind, to me, it's like one of these tragedies because you didn't need that to be your life when you're 24, right? But so they're inflicting misery on the country, if anybody's watching, right? And, and inflicting misery on the institutions, so what are we going to do? How, how's it going to turn out? Um, you're absolutely right that it is not going away. And uh, the ultimate evidence right now of that, the proof of that right now is what did Joe Biden say? He, he campaigned on restoring the soul of America and how he was he was going to bring the temperature down, restore some calm to the country. Has that happened? No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Every single thing we've seen it with these Supreme Court decisions that have, that have come out, anything that go, that doesn't go their way. Democrats threaten um, political violence, and, and they're going to make you feel very, very uncomfortable. You, you know, you've seen those the, the graffiti that's that's um, if if abortion isn't safe, then neither are you. That's the message that they're sending. And 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 since the election, at, just as you pointed out, that's a point I make in in my book, uh, Liberal Misery, is this January sixth thing. It's just the, the the hearings. It's just meant to prolong this. We're going on a, one and a half years of this thing where that was a relatively um, mild, mild riot. Compa- when you, especially when you compare it to all the Black Lives Matter rioting throughout throughout 2020, 
Um, but no, just as the election shows, even now that they have their way, they are not getting any nicer. They are not being any more pleasant. Um, but I, as for what we do about it, I, I write in my book, just don't feed the animals. Do not give in to liberals. And just because they want to make you uncomfortable, uh, don't, don't, that doesn't mean you have to vote their way. That, you, you never give in to people who, who, these people who have shown now that they are in no way willing to let up. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's well-timed. I don't know how you thought, thought to write it. It's perfect timing, especially as you go towards the, um, towards the fall elections when the left and the liberals, they have nothing good to say. They're in charge of everything. They have nothing good to say. They're just going to say mean things about everybody else and uh, about each other more and more, it seems. So uh, the book, again, is Liberal Misery. Eddie Scary, of course, ha- over at Federalist.com, writing the subtitle, How the Hateful Left Sucks Joy Out of Everything and Everyone, Bombardier Press, Bombardier Books, uh, Post Hill Press. Uh, thanks, Eddie, for the time. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and check in for all these interviews. We'll put them up there so you can listen again or uh, hand them off to friends. Uh, And we'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Enemies of the pro-life movement know that they can never win by talking about science because current medical science doesn't support their views. Instead, they'd rather make up their own reality and push people into hysterics. It's time for level heads to take control of the abortion debate once again and appeal to science for our answers. Science supports the idea of preserving unborn life and it resoundingly rejects cries from so-called moderates clamoring for exceptions. One of the most common exceptions called for is an exception to abortion laws in cases where the mother's life is at risk. I'm entirely opposed to this language, and not because I'm advocating for deaths of women. Rather, I'm advocating for a return to science. It's an absolute scientific fact that no abortion is ever performed to save the life of the mother. None. Zero. Zilch. Any claims to the contrary is Planned Parenthood propaganda. Sadly, tragic cases do exist where a procedure to save a mother's life may result in the death of an unborn child. One example of this is when a woman with cancer undergoes chemotherapy treatments. The treatments may result in a miscarriage, but this is not considered an abortion. In the case of ectopic pregnancies, an embryo implants in the fallopian tubes rather than the uterus, which is a scenario that neither mother or baby can survive. The portion of tube is extracted to save the mother's life, and the child is lost as a result. But by their scientific definition, these are not abortions, because the purpose is not to kill the child, but to save the mother. Intentions matter. Yet the left would like to reclassify these tragic cases as abortions, lumping them into the same category as intentionally killing a child because you'd rather have a boy than a girl. This shows just how reprehensible the pro-abortion lobby is. To cover up their bloodlust, they traumatize women in tragic circumstances with these hideous labels. Don't fall for their gory game. There's no such thing as an abortion to save the life of the mother. Be pro-life without exceptions. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. 
you're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back, everybody. We're wrapping things up. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to find out more and to follow all that we're doing, pass it on to other people. Hey, thank you, America. You know, I, I finish the show a lot by thanking Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna Spilger, our great associate producer out in St. Louis, one of my colleagues with the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ryan Height, phenomenal folks that helped make this happen. So many great guests. I, I say thanks to all of them. Thank you to the listeners, uh, especially. But thank you, America. So many pieces, so many people that fit together and make it uh, work. It's wonderful. What a great nation we are. What a great place. What a great celebration uh, we have when we celebrate our independence. Um, Just a great thing. What a miracle. Happy Independence Day to you all. Hope you have a great uh, weekend. And we will be uh, back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you next week. On the answer, San Diego. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.